0: everybody and welcome to Flop the Podcast, a podcast by Treefish EDU. This is the show that features teacher guests sharing their stories of educational mishaps or flops and what they learned along the way. Why do we do it? I'll tell you why we do it because teaching is tough and we all flop from time to time. But by sharing these flops and success stories, we hope that you can benefit from their experiences. In today's episode, I sat down with Rochelle Danae-Poth. She's a world language teacher, an author, and a podcaster from Western Pennsylvania. We talked a lot about assessments and how the practice of assessing students has changed from the in-classroom assessments to the remote or virtual learning assessments. We talked about some best practices, and we also talked about how we could leverage educational technology, edtech, in the remote space to get the most out of our students. Now that the stage has been set, let's get into today's Flop the Podcast episode with guest Rochelle Danae Poe. Welcome back to Flop the Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Geis. In this episode called Classroom Assessments to Remote Assessments, we'll be sitting down with teacher, author, attorney, podcaster, blogger, and educational leader, Rochelle Denae-Poth. Today, we will be talking about the practice of assessing students and how it has changed from in-person assessments to remote learning assessments. Thanks, Rochelle, for being on the podcast with us here today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, I I was telling you off the air, I just don't understand how you have the time to do everything that you do, and I really appreciate you sitting down with us. The first thing that we like to do for our audience is just get the uh, guest to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got in this educational career and path and what you do now.
1: Yeah, that's I'll try to make that a, a short kind of overview. But I am currently a Spanish and STEAM teacher. Uh, I teach near Pittsburgh. I've been teaching for around 20 years. I never quite give the accurate number because I can't really keep track of the accurate number anymore because of time. But um, yeah, I've been teaching there. I also had taught French years ago and uh, also an attorney and author. Love learning, love education, although I, I didn't ever know that I was gonna be a teacher. And the way that I found myself in education was actually because my Junior year year, my undergraduate experience, I didn't, I didn't have a, de- a major declared. And they looked at what I was good in and what my interests were and tried to kind of push me in one direction, which ended up being education. And when I started teaching all those years ago, I didn't really see myself as staying in education for like my whole career. However, because of everything else along the way, I'm still here. And um, because of those experiences, like going to law school, that's definitely what helped to kind of bring me back in and really help me to find my true passion for teaching.
0: That's awesome. I could just picture yourself in uh, class teaching and, you know, some kid saying something and you yelling, I object. I don't know why, but that always comes to mind.
1: Yeah, I get, they ask me questions a lot. Usually it's like, if I get in trouble, will you be my attorney? But uh, it does come in handy when, you know, accidents happen in the classroom and you're analyzing like this scene because I had some studies in forensic sciences. So it's fun.
0: I bet that helps with classroom management. They, uh, You don't need to worry about that no smile until Thanksgiving rule. That's pretty cool. All right. So today we're talking all about assessments and usually our episodes start with identifying a practice uh, that you used in the classroom that was very successful. So I know that we're talking about assessments today. Can you just tell us a little bit about how your assessments before we got into remote learning and virtual and all that good stuff, uh, what you did to assess your students?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because there are so many things that I was doing. I don't want to say wrong because it was my way of learning that there were better ways to do things. But now that I look back on it, I say, yeah, I could have been doing that a lot better. And one of the things that I was wrong about was in how I was assessing my students, because for years I was basically just Using the same types of assessments that I had when I was a student because I thought that was like the only way that you could do them. Had to be a test, had to be a project, you know, that's the way it was. But then over the years, thankfully, by connecting and, you know, all these different communities that we have to learn from, I realized, okay, it doesn't have to be this tangible like test paper format. It's just anything a quick interaction with students, observations, all of those different things in class. And so In the real physical classroom, once I got rid of the rows of desks in my room, I really felt like uh, after years of, you know, working through this, I really felt like I was better able to assess and understand where my students were in their learning process because of that, because I got rid of the stand in the front of the room, talk at them, use all the same methods, papers and everything like that, because I could really interact with them each every single day in that 42 minute period of time. I mean, we could do so many things just because we're all together. Now, flash forward to a remote, totally wasn't the same experience at all.
0: So I, I really like what you're talking about with the flexible seating. It sounds like it's flexible seating in your classrooms and how you identify that there are a lot of different types of assessments. So uh, I I agree with you there. Those are definitely strengths of assessing students is kind of playing to their, their strengths and giving them many different styles. All right. So if Let's uh, rewind, rewind back to March when we started doing this uh, virtual uh, learning and remote learning. How did you assess students then? And maybe what were a couple of things that didn't go as planned?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it was it was different then than it has been with the start of this new school year because it, I mean, obviously it happened so fast and we didn't really have that system in place. Like we use Microsoft Teams now and not all students were joining in. So we were just really trying to get through. And so I had tried to give a test. But then I thought, how can I give students a test or anything because they're not all joining in and they don't always have access at the same time. And so I set up some different things like um, using choice boards and doing project-based learning and other things like that that really made it so that it didn't matter that we weren't in our physical classroom. Now, the challenges were where I could move around in a 42-minute period and really understand like how the students were doing both as a whole in the class and then individually. In the online space, now, if I'm thinking about this year, too, it's like as a language teacher, I've always done battle for as long as I can remember with like the online translators or the answers being all over the place. So it's really hard to create an assessment whenever you're not in that same physical space with the students, especially as a language teacher, because I don't see what they have on their devices. I mean, I can tell right away when they've used the translator or I can, you know, there's certain things that not even in our own English language are we good at when it comes to grammar, let alone first year Spanish. And so it really pushed me to think about like, what am I doing in my classroom? And why, you know, I can't do the same things that I was doing. So how can I kind of defeat that tendency? Because it comes from their nervousness about getting the answers wrong. And so what can I do to kind of help them realize, okay, I don't want you know, you can make mistakes. I said, I can help you learn if I see the mistakes that you're making. But if it's a translator, like I can't work with a translator. And, um, so it has been a a struggle. I mean, that has definitely, I've racked my brain so many times, even with things like project-based learning or doing projects that people recommend, which are great ideas. But at the end of the day, the students still have to produce something in the Spanish language. And there's that reliance on the translator. So I really have to think like, what can I have them do? And, um, One thing that that I had them do was I gave them sentences that were incorrect, and they had to make the corrections, or they were in a scrambled word order, so they really had to know the rules and the structure of sentences to apply it, but uh, it's a work in progress.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I think you hit a key word there, and that's applying their knowledge. A lot of times, teachers, I I see it every day where we're still trying to push out these multiple choice assessments, and they can look everything up, but if you... (laughs) push out an assessment that has them apply something, you know, that goes a lot further in this type of a space. All right. So we identified a couple of the, the flops, so to say, I mean, everyone's going through these flops. What What have you done now to try to better your practice and make, turn the flops into strengths?
1: Well, the first thing that I did is I I spent some time looking at the online translators and acknowledging the websites that have answers to all of the textbooks and workbooks and and that, and showing the students, okay, like this is fine if you need an answer and you want to compare, okay, but know how to actually use the tools that are out there. Like, yeah, answers are all over the internet, but we still need to know how to apply the knowledge if we're in a conversation with somebody. I said later on in life. you might end up being a Spanish teacher. And, of course, they roll their eyes at that. But I say, I took French in high school. I would have never thought I'd be a teacher, let alone a Spanish teacher. Like, I initially started teaching French, but then over the years we – went down to just two language teachers so i've been doing all spanish i said it's about opportunities and you have to build those skills i said just like the english and so trying to relate to them and show them and go through and like not saying don't do this or don't use this i want them to understand why you shouldn't or if you do how to actually use it in the correct way so trying to build up support for them by creating kind of like scaffolding i guess you could say where basic sentences that they create where they wouldn't have to worry about it or sentences that i would give them and then kind of work work through them or work through the sentences with them. But then using some of the different digital tools available, uh, one of which I was really excited about the first time I gave them an actual assessment because I was convinced with about 75% accuracy that I thought it was going to be really hard for them to use a translator or to find the answers somewhere. And so just knowing what the tools are that out there that are out there, but being open to other possibilities as well, I think is what's key.
0: What are some of the ed tech tools that you use to leverage uh, these assessments that you were excited about?
1: Yeah, uh, well, the first one that I that I had used was Nearpod because I figured that I could control the questions, I could set a timer if I wanted to. Even though we could go, we could debate on the setting a time on an assessment, but for some of the different activities, like if I gave them a variety of things, like it might be a matching or it might be a multiple choice or it might have been a gamified experience. Um, that was the one. But the other one that I really like using is formative and that's because it does show real time, real live results in the dashboard. It also enables you to kind of scramble the order of questions that the students get so they can't <laughs> be sitting there and say, hey, what did you get for number 15? Uh, oh, I got this because they're going to have a different number 15. It also identifies when material has been copied and pasted into their platform, and so that's another kind of thing. But what I noticed from it is because I can see all of their work at the same time, is that some of them, and they they were in some cases still using a translator because what you could tell, and the other thing is those, those tiny little grammar things that they wouldn't tend to get, but I showed them, I did screenshots after, and they didn't have any names on them, but I said, look... Here, where you had to write your own sentences, English to Spanish or the other way, your accuracy was like, say, 80%. I said, then when you had to make your own based on a picture, it dropped. I said, then when you didn't have to change anything but put it into the correct grammatical order of a sentence already written in Spanish, it dropped to like a 30%. I said, that's a problem. I said, because if you can do this, you should be able to do this. And so that helped me to try to think, okay, what can I do differently to really help them build those skills and understand them. So it's creating those opportunities, like I said, where I'm giving them the verbs that are conjugated, I'm asking them to put them in the right order, but then also asking them to explain why that's the case and, and not just, here's the answer, move on, but like, why is that the answer? And I think that's important too, finding ways to do that.
0: I think to start a little bit further back in this question, you provided a lot of real world experience and real world ties there. You're showing them why it's important to be able to do that. I think that is a key factor. I love Nearpod. I'm not as familiar with uh, formative, but I love the fact that you could see whether they copy and paste that in. So I think just knowing about some of these EdTech tools that we could leverage uh, to remote and maybe even hybrid learning, I think that is definitely something that we could take away from this episode. All right. I know it's short, quick and to the point, but I want to thank you for being on uh, the podcast today. And I want to encourage everybody out there to go follow some of your work. You're absolutely amazing. Make sure that you go on to Twitter and Instagram. You could follow Rochelle at RDanae915. You could go on Facebook and find her there. I will have that link in the show notes. And make sure you check out her website at www.rdene915.com. She is also a very accomplished author out there. So check out some of her books. You could find that at bit.ly slash books And uh, also got to mention your podcast in there, uh, Thrive and EDU. Like I said, she does it all. So make sure you check her out because she does everything absolutely fantastically. So thanks again for being on today's show.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for listening to Flop the Podcast by Treefish EDU. Remember to check out our next episode on any platform for podcasts or on the Treefish EDU YouTube channel. You can learn more about our virtual and in-person PD offerings at TreefishEDU.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at TreefishEDU and sign up for our newsletter at TreefishEDU.com.